1: ever made an impact by standing on the sidelines, whimpering, complaining, or protesting without taking action. We make progress by implementing our ideas. Pharmacists must take action. This is Polititalk Rx. The Highly Charged, Sometimes Controversial, Political Internet Radio Talk Show Dedicated to the Profession of Pharmacy. The policies that shape our healthcare system are complex and pharmacists, pharmacy professionals, and industry stakeholders must have a seat at the table to participate in conversations, discussions, and debates, which lead to actions that drive change supporting the profession of pharmacy. This podcast is intended to shake up the status quo and promote change to promote the profession of pharmacy while advocating for better patient care delivered by pharmacy. Politalk Rx is part of the U.S. healthcare system's largest and most influential network of podcasts dedicated to our profession, the Pharmacy Podcast Network.
2: Hello, hello. Welcome to another show on the Pharmacy Podcast Network. This is Politalk Rx. Today, we have an amazing show. I actually have a very special guest. I think we've been talking for too long now about getting together. I have Antonio Chacha. Antonio thank you so much for coming on today thank you for having me Scott let me let me tell our, our our listeners who you are so Antonio is the CEO of 46 Brooklyn research a nonprofit drug pricing Institute and the director of government and public affairs at the Ohio pharmacist Association Antonio like I said thank you so much for coming on today we have a amazing show we've been talking a lot uh, you and I and we've both been busy but you know what they say uh, if you want to get something done, you ask a busy person to do it. And I'm excited. It's been a little bit since we've been on the show, but here we are. So we're gonna talk today about PBMs. They've been a hot topic for a while now. I think that you and I could agree heavily on that. And you've been doing some amazing work up in Ohio. So if you can, let's talk a little bit about the PBMs and where we are with them. I've I've spoken to Congressman Buddy Carter from Georgia. I've spoken to Scott Knorr out of Cleveland Clinic. And now I'm with the guy the pharmacists are all speaking about. So please tell me, where are we and what is the current status of the PBM arena? Well, uh, Scott, I appreciate you
0: having me on. I appreciate the ability to talk about it. The PBM industry is very complex, and it has become a bigger and bigger component of the prescription drug transaction and a bigger, bigger component of the actual of the pharmacy profession. And what started off in the 60s and 70s as a fledgling little industry meant to process claims and run algorithms has turned into a multi-billion dollar industry. The PBM, over time, after they realized, hey, we're in the middle of all these transactions, as our reliance as consumers grew on drug coverage from our insurance companies, the power of the PBM grew. And as they became a bigger and bigger component of that transaction, over time they realized, hey, maybe we could start influencing this transaction. And what started off as a very helpful industry has grown in terms of its size and scope, but has also become in some ways more helpful, but in many ways uh, the exact opposite of helpful. And their impact is growing exponentially, it seems, as the industry consolidates more and more. And what started off as an industry that made things easier and made things cheaper uh, in As many pharmacists will tell you today, they have made things arguably more difficult and a lot more expensive. Where I started trying to learn about them was because in my role at the, at the Ohio Pharmacists Association, members were calling to complain to me that, look, there, these PBMs are starting to have a very drastic impact on my ability as a practitioner to provide a high level of service to my patients. And as we learned over time, um as the reimbursements to pharmacies started declining, on the other end of the transaction, we saw that the prices that the payer or in this in the in the context of what's happening in Ohio, the state Medicaid program, they were paying the highest rates they'd ever paid. And so we realized that something was being lost in the middle and so we set out to expose whether or not we were being overcharged by the industry.
2: Now was this initially, a group of individuals that kind of said, whoa, look what's happening, or was it patients uh, complaining that, hey, my premiums are going up, my payments are going up, or was it a mix of the two? That's a great question, Scott. I mean, if you look at the national landscape,
0: everybody's concerned about drug prices. Uh, Everyone's concerned that they're paying more than they were yesterday, and they're concerned with their overall affordability. Employers who are paying the benefit are no different, and state Medicaid programs and the taxpayers who fund those programs are also asking the same questions. And so what we saw in Ohio was a a legislature that was complaining that their drug costs were increasing nearly 20% over a two-year period, and then on the other end of the spectrum, where the money is essentially directed to go at the pharmacy counter, the amount of money that was being paid out to the pharmacies had never been lower. And so in Ohio, we saw uh, pharmacists reporting that they were taking uh, losses. They, they saw a decrease of 60 to 80% of their gross margins over a two-year period within the Medicaid Managed Care Program. Whereas, as I said before, on the other end of the transaction, the state was paying nearly 20% more than they were uh, in 2016. And so when you tell me that the costs are going up but the payouts are going down, it's you're telling me it's snowing in Hawaii. And so that was kind of our clue that there was a growing gap between what was being paid out versus what was getting billed. And that's when we started digging into CMS data that showed – one, what the actual cost of the drug is using a, a, a benchmark called National Average Drug Acquisition Cost or NADAC. And CMS also tracked state utilization data, which showed what state Medicaid programs were getting billed for those, for those same drugs. We stitched those data files together back in 2018 and started to see some massive, massive pricing distortions and you saw a growing gap between the actual cost of a generic drug and the price that was being billed out to the state. That was the nexus of the controversy in Ohio, was those charts and that growing differential between the payouts and what the state was getting billed, and it has uh, snowballed ever since.
2: Wow, that is crazy. So you've talked a lot in this about drug pricing. Uh, You've talked a lot about also – just to step back, you said, I mean, you you did acknowledge that PBMs they did have a benefit. Like the, the intention was to help consolidate drug pricing, help to save patients money. Uh, and and we've talked about PBMs. I think a lot of people know about them and, and such and and what's going on. Um, I think there are some confusions as to at least on the patient side of you know why their pharmacies that they used to go to are no longer available. And so we start to talk about access to care. And I think that's that's my big thing. You know, like, I, I want to ensure that our patients have access. So there is a balance. But, I mean, who's paying? Are taxpayers' dollars going towards PBMs? Can we, do you have that data in, in, in some way, whether directly or indirectly? Could you explain that a little bit? Absolutely. So I mentioned that we had started putting together these
0: drive pricing charts showing this disconnect between the actual price of the drug and what the state was being charged. Um, When we eventually showed that to lawmakers, we showed that to the Columbus Dispatch, which is uh, the big newspaper here, uh, Columbus, Ohio, um, they noticed that there was a big problem. And so eventually, through the prodding of the newspapers and through the prodding of lawmakers, the state of Ohio conducted an audit of the Medicaid Managed Care Program to figure out where, in fact, the money was going. And when they opened the books, they found that out of a $2.6 billion program uh, in terms of spending on prescription drugs, they found that PBMs, CVS Caremark and OptumRx, were taking $224.8 million out of the middle of the transaction. So that was the difference between what they paid pharmacies and essentially what they invoiced or reported back to the state. There was an additional $20 million on top of that that one of the managed care organizations was taking through their own pharmacy benefits administrator. So we're talking about eight to uh, 10% of the overall spending on prescription drugs, pre-rebate, mind you, was heading to the claims processor. And that was just on spread pricing alone. That does not include what PBMs make at administrative fees, contracting fees, audits, specialty pharmacy margins, rebates at the end of the day the state of ohio and lawmakers were quite shocked that this what they thought was a very insignificant part of the transaction monetarily was taking up a huge (laughs) portion of that transaction
2: so i'm sorry should patients be concerned or people in general be concerned that they're paying double like they're paying through their taxes and they're paying higher prices absolutely yeah there's no question about it and this is this is where, uh, my
0: big gripe is with, with the PBM is yes, they're taking a lot of money and I think it's, I think it's too much. But the question also should be, what did we buy for all of that? It's not up to me to say what's too much money or what's too little money because we don't even know what we bought with that service. And the same thing can be said for pharmacy. Um, when the state or an employer or a patient is paying for a service, they deserve to know what the cost of that service is and they deserve to know what went into the service. So that ultimately in a functional marketplace, that consumer or purchaser knows what they bought and knows how much they bought, uh, how much they paid for it. That's how you ultimately have checks in a, in a marketplace is that the payer, the consumer, knows the value proposition of what they bought. And PBMs hide the cost of what they do, and they hide what they actually, the service that they perform. So we can't make great value judgments on what we thought because they have essentially cloaked all of that. The problem for pharmacy is that their value proposition has also been hidden from the payer. And so pharmacy as a provider has been taken, uh, essentially taken for granted because We haven't known what we've been spending on them, and we never have quantified what the actual value proposition of that service has been, because that too has been lost in the shuffle of this money. And so I believe that we have to pull the rug out from under the system and show where all the dollars are going, and question the supply chain, pharmacy included, what service are you rendering, and what is that worth? Because I bet if we know what we bought and how much we spent and what, in the actual services being provided, the state of Ohio and the taxpayers would expect divvying up the
2: money in different ways than they are today. So you agree obviously with what the administration is doing now in terms of pushing for drug price transparency Uh, do you think that some of these things are a a step in the right direction I know that the Trump administration has talked a lot about drug pricing drug transparency do you think this is kind of the blanket overall effect that needs to happen even with this and uh, in other directions other variables so that we can truly have lowest or at least most transparent drug pricing, so like you said, the consumer can get the information behind all of this. Because I do believe it's important. I mean, I don't I don't go to the market and say uh, fill me up with uh, you know fill my cart up with food. I want to go see what I'm getting. You know, I want to know that I'm getting things that I need. Are you in agreement with the uh, the way that the Trump administration is handling drug transparency at this moment?
0: I think the Trump administration uh, leaves a lot to be desired in many areas. However, in this space, uh, I think that. Trump might have been the right guy at the right time because this industry needs disruption. And for better or worse, Trump is a disruptor in many regards. And the people that he has put in place in this segment of the marketplace, the former FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb, the current HHS Secretary uh, Alex Azar, I think that these folks are driving more uh, disruption in this industry than we've seen in arguably the past three administrations combined. Um, The incentives and the core of the drug pricing system are fundamentally broken. And the the strides of the Trump administration to expose prices, make things more transparent, bring more generics and biosimilars to the market, and the broken rebate system that drives up list prices and out-of-patients out-of-pocket costs, all of those things are directed at the core of the problem and so yes i think the trump administration has made tremendous strides relative to uh, prior administrations
2: yeah and and i agree i think you know having drug transparency and what is being done is um if not anything at all scaring the crap out of some people um, and making some very uh, wealthy ceos of companies uh, become accountable and i think that's very important because again, I'm, I'm all about public health uh, and, and I'm really about providing the best service. And I know you are as well, um, especially with what you're doing, what you're fighting for. So I appreciate that. I want to discuss and, and we'll switch directions a little bit here because this is where, uh, the time of the show that we've, sometimes we talk about controversial things. And, you know, I want to talk about something that to be, to be honest, I, I have found very controversial and for the reasons, maybe the wrong ones, maybe it's ego, maybe it's whatever, but, What what would you say? Do you think that pharmacies, pharmacists have allowed some of this to occur in terms of the PBMs? Do you feel that way? Do you feel that we could have done more as a as I mean, you're you're with the Ohio Pharmacists Association. So, you know, speaking from experience, do you feel that. The engagement is low. Do you feel that, you know, pharmacists kind of wait just like we wait for food and water to be taken care of, our garbage to be picked up or whatever, you know, automated services that we feel that our tax dollars are paying for. Do you feel that we, that, that people, pharmacists in general feel that people are taking care of the issues and that they're not involved? Yeah. I mean, I, I'm typically put pretty blunt about this. I think pharmacists
0: in the aggregate are terrible advocates. They're by and large disengaged. If you look at professional association memberships, not that that's, you know, the only metric, about two-thirds of the profession belong to nothing, whether that's their state association, their national association, their local association, um, an overwhelming majority of the profession is is on the sidelines. And when pharmacists aren't active, when pharmacists aren't engaged, and when they um, are essentially along for the ride, that's when crap-like gag clauses end up in your PBM contracts. That's when your profession gets overlooked and railroaded. If you look at the nurses associations or the nurses profession or the medical association, those are forces to be reckoned with. They are always at the table. They are always setting the tone. Pharmacists don't do that. It's disjointed. We have every little club within pharmacy, you know, exists. You got your hospital pharmacists over here. You got your compounding pharmacists over here. You got your independent pharmacists over here. You Everybody, you know, there, there's all these little fiefdoms in pharmacy. We're already at a, a pharmacists are all at, already at a disadvantage because they're already a largely misunderstood, uninvolved profession. We do ourselves a disservice when we further separate into our own little uh, clubs and fiefdoms. And as a result, the message of pharmacy is very disjointed and largely muffled. Well, and I-, I, I, to be clear... This is not necessarily, you know, um, a, you know, I, I don't think that like, hey, pharmacists need to unite to go do X, Y, and Z. But the fact that they're not united and not speaking as one and not even really at the table in many regards, I think is incredibly disappointing. And I
2: think it's exactly why where we are today. Well, let me ask you this. On the other side of this, what do you think organizations could do more? You know, like what can they do to engage more? Because Look, I'm going to be completely blunt with you as, you know, as, as I have been and say that I feel like organizations can be better at marketing, branding. They can be better at taking on public health initiatives and telling the why, not just, you know, why you should pay me, but more so why we're doing this and how it's going to benefit you. You know, in anything, in any, you know, company, whatever it may be, a lot of people go to work every day. They sign in. They, you know, do their work, whatever it is. They complain on social media. And they do it again the next day. Um, you know, there's gotta be something more, obviously, than that, because to me, like, having a crappy life would be the first, you know, sign to me that I need to start doing something differently than I was yesterday. But for a lot of people, it's not. So what, what do you think organizations can do to engage? Is it, is it fighting for lunch breaks to engage these members so that they know they're fighting for things like that? Is it taking on public health initiatives? Because we weren't the first people at the table to speak about Opioids, for instance. I know that there's a lot of lawsuits going on right now, but we weren't the first people. I heard a lot of pharmacists saying things like, "Well, I'm not prescribing them," and kind of wiping their hands clean. So, what can pharmacy organizations do more in a general fashion to engage more members and be part more part of their lifestyle as well? So, it's it's a uh, this is a fascinating
0: topic because it is, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer on this. I think it's there's multiple layers to it. But I'll give you a perfect example here in Ohio. We have, we have we are very fortunate. I've got, uh, we have about five full-time staffers at, at, at the Ohio Pharmacists Association, We've got a couple part-timers. We're fighting, you know, fights against the Ohio Medical Association, Ohio State Medical Association it has 40 people. Uh, Nurses Association's got like 50. Yeah. Uh, their political action committees are essentially eight times, nine times, 10 times as large. So in many regards, the pharmacy associations are very under-resourced. We're lucky in Ohio. Most other states don't even have close to that level of staffing. They don't have close to that level of budget. And so I'll I'll, I'll put this in the context, of, I'll, I'll give you a, a separate analogy. You've got independent pharmacies, let's say. I want independent pharmacies engaged in high level clinical services. I want them evolving their business models and I want them to do wonderful, amazing things for patients way beyond traditional dispensing roles. However, Those pharmacies have absolutely no financial incentive to do so, and their one main revenue stream has been depleted significantly over the last few years. How can I expect an independent pharmacy to go evolve their business model when the payment streams and the revenue streams – don't exist to incentivize them to do those things.
2: I understand if, that. If, I guess to to kind of go against that, you're saying that the organizations are under-resourced. My question was even before that is how do you get them to engage so that they do start becoming members and paying? Because I feel that if, and I'm not saying you are, but the overall complaint is, you're right, there is a lack of resource. And that's what we get even on state organizations, you know, when it comes to, um, you know, the Department of Health or whatever the case may be. But what I'm saying is that if the form of payment to the organizations is strictly or mainly through donations or um, membership fees, right? But the organizations are not engaging more members and possibly losing members, then ideally it's not the same example because a independent pharmacy would need to sell something. You know, and, and maybe the sale is not the equivalence here, what we're selling is this idea that we're working for you, right? The pharmacist, we're working to improve your life as well as public health, and we want you to be part of this is gonna make your life better. Now you're engaging me in some manner to pay you which funds you to be more resourced. So I'm saying like the the complaint is that we're under-resourced, but I think, I'm asking what can we do more though to better that so there there is more resources available? Because I think you, what you're saying is if there is more resources, we could knock it out of the park. I want to know how we could get those more resources to begin with and fund those resources and what those organizations can do to basically engage more members. I, I think, Ohio, you guys are fortunate, like you said, but like a lot of people say, hey, PBMs, we work for one, so we're not going to go talk about anything or be against that. So maybe that's not the engaging topic for them because of their lifestyle or their current situation. So uh, that's what I'm saying. It's like, what can we do to help get more resources?
0: It's a great question, and I think it's a little bit of a chicken and egg thing, yeah, yeah um, I, agree. Think, I, I I think that there are some associations that are much better than others. Uh, a lot of a lot of their ability to be better has to do with the amount of resources they have. absolutely. Um, i I do look at so I'll, I'll put it this way. there are fifty states, that means there's fifty state pharmacist associations, and there's and there's you know probably a good a good chunk of independent pharmacy organizations at the state level. And health system organizations at the state level. Yeah. And then nationally you have all these other uh, big pharmacy associations. The join rates and the involvement in all of them across the board are abysmal relative to the overall number of licensees. And so I would tell, I would say that yes, you might be correct that pharmacy associations need to do a better job of engaging folks Explaining their value proposition. But at the same time, I would also say the differential from like the, the biggest, most resourced organization who does things arguably the better, the better than the most versus the worst. The level of engagement is not overly, di- is not overly different. There is definitely something missing in the pharmacy culture. Pharmacists have a lot of challenges, but in the aggregate, this profession has done very well. Um, it is a, it is not an underpaid profession. And it is a profession that is growing in terms of of opportunities. A lot of that is being driven by pharmacy associations that are are under-resourced. It doesn't mean that people should necessarily give their pharmacist associations blank checks and expect very little of them. But I do think that we can easily point to a lot of the progress of this profession and say pharmacy organizations or just general pharmacist involvement even outside of organizations has been a driving force in evolving the profession. And based on the on the amount of money that I think pharmacists are uh, on average making, kicking out a $200 check or a $300 check, that's kind of the bare minimum. I think that that's kind of a given that should always occur. Now, the pharmacy association should obviously go out and earn that, but for a profession that has so much on the line and so much opportunity, uh, the, the, the join rates and involvement rates, even outside of joining, to me, there's just no excuse for it, regardless of whether the association does great work or not.
2: I, I absolutely agree with you. And, and just going back on what you're saying, I absolutely agree with the idea of how much progress has been made on all state levels. Uh, I think it's phenomenal. And what we've done on the national level as well, I think has been phenomenal. I just, on my side, I guess I talk to people all the time, people that, you know, whether it be, I can't find a job or I wanna make a, a, a career switch or whatnot. And the first question I ask is, are you engaged in a organization? And a lot of times they say no. And so I always think to myself, what is the missing link? You, you know about these problems, you see the news, you see all these things, like what is the missing link? So that's why I'm asking is what organizations, and I guess it's maybe a PSA for us to, call out a suggestion to the the organizations to do because I just want to see more engagement. I want to see more opportunity because, you know, let's be honest, a lot of politics are based on pay for play and it's sad, but that's the way things work. That's how it works. And we know if you don't have the money, you know, you don't get to sit at the table sometimes. And so it is a hard situation. And I just hope that more people join organizations. I want to switch topics a little bit here. And actually, I want to ask you more about 46 Brooklyn Research Nonprofit Drug Pricing Institute. Can you please tell our listeners all about this and what it is you do over there?
0: Yeah. So basically, when we started to see these problems in drug pricing in in Ohio, when we stumbled upon these CMS data files, we realized this is kind of a big deal. And so when we went to the Columbus dispatch and showed them some of the charts, they were like, Whoa, this is crazy. And when we went uh, and visited with Bloomberg and wall street journal, we showed them these charts and they're like, Whoa, this is a big deal. And once we started talking to more and more people that were experts in the industry and they saw them were like, Whoa, there's something here. We realized, okay, the public deserves to know this. We can better educate people. Rather than running around with our laptops to, you know, New York and DC and, and Columbus, Ohio, here we were sitting on data for every state Medicaid program in the country for e- almost every single drug that CMS tracks. So why not make this data available to the public for free so that they can start doing their own research and learning? Here you have all this drug pricing data sitting out there on CMS's website and no it's it's living in boring unusable excel files (laughs) yes uh so why can't we take those boring excel files and bring life to them
2: we say in marketing is make it sexy right you know it's 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 true it's like there's a lot of information out there that is so resourceful but the way it's presented is terrible And so nobody engages in it, reads it, or takes time to, you know, just even understand it. And I think it's a problem. And what you're doing is phenomenal because you're consolidating the information and you're making it sexy. You know, you're making it legible. You're making it understandable and exciting, like you said. Uh, I I think that's phenomenal. Honestly, I I think what you guys are doing and, and as well as the engagements you're making, I feel that it's the backbone of a lot of what we're seeing now in Ohio as well is, you know, that information that people have. Uh, let's be honest a lot of legislators a lot of uh even healthcare providers don't know everything they can't know everything about every healthcare policy or what's going on every time and so it takes leaders like yourself uh you know in the company like you have at 46 brooklyn research to provide that so i really appreciate everything you're doing there Uh, i wanted to not cut the shorts only because of time with the podcast But we want to thank you, honestly, Antonio. I I think it's amazing to have you on. I hope that we could continue to engage. I know that, you know, you and I have a relationship outside of the podcast, and we're going to continue to to, uh, chop it up and and speak about these policies because I'm very engaged myself, and I want to do whatever it takes to ensure that we have access to care but also transparency and pricing. So I look forward to working with you, and I really, again, just appreciate you coming on the show today.
0: Scott, I appreciate what you do, regardless of anybody, uh, whether it's pharmacist or non-pharmacist. I don't think anybody would disagree that this industry has massive problems and we're not going to fix them sitting on our butts. Uh, We have to get active, we have to speak out and start showing people what's happening in our industry. Podcasts like this help drive those conversations. So thank you for what you do.
2: Hey, hopefully nobody gets too upset and just uh, turns us off. I hope they they are understanding that a lot of these fears are acceptable a lot of these concerns are are real but there's solutions to be made you know it's not just about becoming the victim in all of these things but more so like what you're doing and becoming accountable and giving us that empowerment to go out there and have a voice so thank you for everything and again i look forward to working with you in the future thanks a lot scott guys this is another show for Polititalk rx i hope you loved it I loved it. I loved the conversation. Our guest, Antonio Chacha, was amazing, and I hope you guys follow him. Antonio, can you give them your uh, Instagram, Facebook, where they can follow you at? Yeah, so uh, check out 46Brooklyn.com, and on Twitter, you can find me at A underscore Chacha, C-I-A-C-C-I-A. All right, guys. So follow him. I'm telling you, you want to get educated. You want to know somebody that's really doing it really big and knows a lot of people. This is the guy. So again, Antonio, thank you. And uh, guys, thank you again for tuning in. Have a good one.
1: Thank you for listening to Polititalk Rx, part of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. If you're in the profession of pharmacy or if you're in the healthcare industry, you can't afford to sit idle and not be informed about your profession. We ask you to share these podcasts with your fellow pharmacy associates, your state and local government officials, and get involved in politics in some capacity starting with being informed. We must take action, but only when we're educated and understand the issues and policies which lead us to a better tomorrow for our profession. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Polititalk Rx and send us an email at polititalkrx at gmail.com.